Welcome to the CSIS Cogit Asia podcast, where we think deeply and reflect on policy in Asia. I'm your host, Colm Quinn. Today, we explore the story of the relationship between the United States and its key ally and partner in Southeast Asia, the Philippines. With a shifting geopolitical environment, the lull in US-Philippine ties following the Cold War has been reinvigorated in recent years. The hot and cold nature of the relationship began following the Spanish-American War in the late 19th century, when the United States took possession of the island colonies following victory over Spain. Manila and Washington's security commitment was forged following the Allied victory in World War II when the US retook the islands from imperial Japanese occupation. Philippine independence followed shortly thereafter in 1947 and a mutual defence treaty was signed in 1951. Well, the the treaty relationship was one of several in in the Asia-Pacific that the U.S. formed after World War II. But what's unique about the U.S.-Philippine alliance is, of course, the history of colonization. That was Gregory Poling, an expert at CSIS who tracks the U.S. alliances in Southeast Asia. We asked him why Washington and Manila are treaty allies and how the relationship has changed over time. Prior to World War II, the Philippines was a U.S. Uh, colony, the, the only colony that, well, the only colony of that kind of size that the U.S. really had in Asia. Uh, and, and that's resulted in, uh, well, a complicated history, but also... Uh, I think a, a camaraderie between American and Filipinos that is unique among our, our Asian treaties. Uh, you know, English language skills are sky high in the Philippines. Uh, there's a, a whole boatload of shared values of, of shared institutions that underpin our relationship in a way that that is is above and beyond what you find in most other, not all, but most other non-European allies of the United States. So the relationship was in effect uh, with the Mutual Defense Treaty signing in 1951 throughout the Cold War. Of course, the relationship has changed a little bit since the end of the Cold War. How would you say it has changed and what are some of the key moments that you would identify? Like many of of the United States alliances uh, with the collapse of the Soviet Union, the the U.S.-Philippine relationship was left somewhat adrift. And Philippine lawmakers and officials began asking in the early 90s why they still needed such a large U.S. presence. Of course, uh, Clark Naval Station was the largest U.S. uh, military facility abroad uh, for most of the Cold War. Uh, It was, you know, the backbone of U.S. presence and naval presence in in the Pacific. What has happened since was was much the same that you see in, for instance, the, the alliance with Japan. Uh, where absent the Soviet threat, there was a period of drift, but now the 21st century with the rise of China and a whole bevy of transnational threats has led to a, a rejuvenation. As you mentioned, the relationship has, has been rejuvenated in recent times, particularly during President Aquino's tenure. Why do you think that is uh, in, a, in a more granular sense? Why has the relationship improved? I think, to be fair, we should trace the... Renaissance, if that's what it is, in U.S.-Philippine security relations, the seeds of that started in in the 
late, well, certainly in the early 2000s in, in the Bush administration, where uh, counterterrorism in the southern Philippines presented a foothold for the U.S. to regain a rotational presence in the Philippines. Uh, the Joint uh, Special Operations Task Force in the Philippines was just shut, shut down uh, last year after 13 years in operation, uh, had, had a presence in Zamboanga in the southern Philippines. That allowed us to begin working together again in, in a concerted way, in a way that we hadn't in, in a decade. But certainly under the Aquino and Obama administrations, the trajectory of the relationship has just soared. That, I think, has largely been underpinned by anxiety over China, uh, especially China's intentions in the South China Sea. And with the seizure of Scarborough Shoal in mid-2012 from the Philippines, uh, the, the threat or potential threat that China poses to, to the Philippines or at least to Filipino interests in the South China Sea has become the number one security concern for certainly the Aquino administration and for uh, many Filipinos on the ground. So that, that led to the signing of the Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement between the U.S. and the Philippines in uh, early 2014, which was just last week approved by the Philippine Supreme Court. And we'll see a, uh, a return of a really robust U.S military presence, although it should be said a rotational military presence, not the kind of permanent basing that you saw during the Cold War. As Greg explained, the EDCA, or Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement, has emerged as a key part of the story of revitalizing U.S.-Filipino security ties for both countries during Benigno Aquino's time in office. We talked to Philip Goldberg, the U.S. ambassador to the Philippines, for his take on the importance of the EDCA decision. Well, what it means is that an agreement that was signed in April of 2014 can move forward. And it's a, a huge step, I think, for our relationship in that it is mutually beneficial. It will benefit both sides. For the Philippines, it means more U.S. support for what it's trying to do in its modernization, its uh, building of a minimum credible defense, especially as it develops more capability in the maritime space, maritime domain awareness, and takes on new missions, uh, not just the traditional missions it's had for internal security. And that means more air and naval kinds of power and operations and, and, and things that will be new, and I think we'll be able to help as it does that. It also means more support with HADR, humanitarian assistance and disaster relief, as we're able to pre-supply and also do more exercises in that area. And as you know, the Philippines has been uh, a real vulnerable state with uh, climate change and, and some of the uh, increased frequency and intensity of typhoons. So how do Filipinos feel about the current state of the alliance? We sat down with Philippines Ambassador to the United States, Jose Alquisha, to get the Philippines government's perspective on recent security developments. EDCA is a critical component of our efforts to preserve and improve our national security, and that's why we welcome the decision of the Supreme Court affirming the constitutionality of the EDCA. EDCA will give us an opportunity to expand further our alliance, uh, particularly in the realm of maritime security and maritime domain awareness. And the Philippines intends to be a proactive, responsible, and reliable ally. EDCA will enable the Philippines to get the support of the U.S. in terms of the modernization 
of our armed forces. As you know, modern military hardware carries a high price tag. And with EDCA, our military forces will be able to make use of modern technology, cutting edge uh, technology, particularly in terms of defense hardware, without our having to pay for it so we can familiarize ourselves with this uh, modern technology and see whether this would be suitable for our own needs. And eventually, we will have the budget to, to acquire this modern military technology. EDCA will also enable us to have more exercises with the U.S., similar to the Balikatan exercises. And we're also talking about possibility of joint patrols with the U.S., um, Right now, we're also having discussions between our two militaries on potential locations that will uh, be, of course, within the AFP facilities uh, in the Philippines, and that would enable the U.S. to preposition equipment, supplies, and so on. EDCA will also enable us to develop both individual and collective capabilities, particularly with regard to humanitarian assistance and disaster relief, which to us is very important because, as you know, the Philippines is a disaster-prone uh, country. So we, we are also discussing with the U.S. Um, a priority list of, what we, of our requirements for both the Air Force and the Navy. You know, it's been 23 years since uh, the naval base at Subic uh, Bay was closed and, um, and the U.S. military you know, formally withdrew from the Philippines. So contextually, how, how have U.S.-Philippine relations involved, evolved since then? And um, how, how have you seen that evolution in your five years here as ambassador? Well, um, I have to say that um, the relations between the Philippines and the U.S. have never been better. And both former Secretary Hillary Clinton and Secretary of State John Kerry have made statements uh, to that effect, as well as uh, Secretary Albert Del Rosario in their recent uh, 2 plus 2 meeting. The direction of collaboration between the Philippines and the U.S. has also been uh, laid out through the high-level interactions that we've had, such as the 2 plus 2 uh, ministerial meetings in 2012-2016. We also have the bilateral strategic dialogues that was initiated in 2011, shortly after the, they assumed my position as ambassador. And every year, we've had this bilateral strategic dialogue, which uh, monitors and, of course, manages the programs and projects that we have agreed to do with the, with the United States. Now, one of the major drivers for closer cooperation between Manila and Washington remains China's assertive behavior in the South China Sea. The Philippines filed a legal case at the Court of Arbitration in The Hague against China over the ambiguous nature of its maritime claims. In late 2015, the court stated that it had jurisdiction in the case and a decision is expected soon. We asked Ambassador Quisha what the Philippines hopes to achieve. Those of us who keenly watch the permanent court of arbitration expect a ruling uh, to come out on the Philippines case against China's uh, nine-dash line around the South China Sea sometime in the coming months. 
Do you expect a positive outcome for the Philippines, and and how can you, the Philippines and its and other interested countries, uh, best capitalize on on a on a positive uh, a decision if it comes in your favor? Well, the Philippines has put its faith in the rule of law, and we intend to abide by the decision of the arbitral tribunal. Having delivered our position on the merits of the case, we're now awaiting the decision of the arbitral tribunal, and we're hopeful for a positive outcome. The recent developments and the heightened tensions on the ground that have arisen because of China's unilateral actions underline the importance of an early decision by the tribunal. The Philippines underscores that the arbitral tribunal decision should be binding and must be respected by all countries. The affirmation by the international community of the binding nature of the arbitral decision will go a long way to upholding the rule of law. So we are very hopeful that the international community will, in fact, ask China to respect the decision of the tribunal, whatever it may be. Ambassador Philip Goldberg concurs. Well, what it will mean is that we will return, uh, hopefully, to uh, rules-based and legally-based solutions. Uh, It will invoke the law of the sea in that the tribunal has been set up under the UNCLOS to deal with these kinds of issues. And the fact that it found the jurisdictional arguments that the Philippines put forward to let the case be argued uh, is positive from our point of view because, it again, it, it, it invokes the legal kinds of solutions that the United States supports and that the Philippines is looking for. Uh, and uh, so legal, peaceful, diplomatic solutions are the way forward. Uh, whether they're through codes of conduct in ASEAN uh, with China or whether they're through uh, the, the solutions that are offered under the uh, UN law of the sea. Another possible policy shift lies in the horizon. The result of democratic elections in the Philippines in May and the United States in November. We asked Ambassador Quisha what issues will decide the election in the Philippines. Here's what he had to say. We're four months away from uh, a Philippine election on May 9th in Manila and across the country, of course. But it's hard, you know, to tell who's even going to be eligible to to run. There's some controversy there, and let alone know who will win. But uh, what do you think are the issues that will drive Philippine voters at the polls this year? And and what will sway their vote on, on May 9th? You know, the Philippine narrative under the Aquino administration has been good governance, economic reform, transparency and accountability, and inclusive growth. In my view, I think those will be the same issues that will be uppermost in the minds of the voters on May 9, 2016. Who of these candidates would be able to continue Uh, that program. The challenge to the presidential candidate is for him or for her to present a credible and viable platform that will demonstrate that his or her government will be able to build on the gains over the last six years and ensure the sustainability 
of the programs that have enabled us precisely to address issues like poverty eradication of poverty, uh, criminality, peace in, in the now, and uh, inclusive growth, as well as climate change. Ambassador Joey Quisha, thank you for joining us at CSIS today. Really appreciate your insights. My pleasure. Thank you, Ernie. And Ambassador Goldberg pointed out the United States is prepared to work with any leader. Well, I think we have very strong relations, and I think those will continue regardless of uh, elections in both our countries because we have history and interests that coincide. There are now three and a half million Filipino Americans. There are hundreds of thousands of Americans who live in the Philippines, a great people-to-people relationship. Uh, But we also are two democracies which see our interests still in the 21st century in a way that will allow us, regardless of who's elected, to, to, to move forward on a positive footing. You mentioned earlier, Ernie, the EDCA decision. Well, there's something that I think uh, both sides have seen as mutually beneficial, the Philippines building its minimum credible defense, the United States being more present in the region under the rebalance. Those are things that I think uh, are consensus issues pretty much on both sides. I know a little bit more controversial on the Philippine side than here, uh, but still it's something that I think as it moves forward will be supported by both countries and by whoever is president in each of our countries. However, depending on the outcome in the election, different policies and a different take on the alliance could shape the security relationship. We turn again to Greg Poling, director of our Asia Maritime Transparency Initiative, to discuss possible trajectories. Well, among the top four contenders for the Philippine presidency right now, and this is a very fluid field, uh, not just because of opinion polls, but because at least one, if not more, might end up disqualified on, on legal grounds or political grounds. But there does seem to be a spectrum of, of uh, opposition to China, or at least the strength of that opposition, uh, and for support for the U.S. presence. If we have a, a new president that comes in and largely continues the trajectory of the Aquino administration, then we'll see uh, a further deepening of the relationship, especially with the speed and scope of cooperation under the new Enhanced Defense Cooperation Agreement. I think it will affect the scope or size of, of weapons procurement, of modernization efforts, of joint training. But we shouldn't overestimate how much uh, I think a single new president can make in this relationship. Thanks to the Philippine Supreme Court last week, by the time a new president comes into office, the EDCA, as it's called, will be reality. It will be being implemented. Many of the plans will already be in motion. And there's a certain ratchet effect when it comes to the ability of, of any politician anywhere, including the Philippines, to, to reverse course on what are largely very popular policies. So regarding the South China Sea, uh, this has become a cause celeb in the Philippines. Uh, the average Filipino man on the street, it might not be his top concern, given, given many other concerns, both societal and economic, but no politician can be seen to be pro-China or coddling China on this issue in the same way that for the most part they can't be seen to be uh, foregoing U.S. aid at a time that most Filipinos support a return uh, of some limited U.S. presence. Uh, and they also – there will be bureaucratic hurdles. I mean the, the Department of National Defense and the military in the Philippines recognizes that the needs of the Philippine Navy, Coast Guard, and Air Force are so great that there is no realistic way for them to meet their needs, especially regarding the uh, maritime domain, South China Sea, without huge U.S. support. 
and the EDCA is the only vehicle to get that done. The outlook for the US-Philippine relationship among officials in both governments is clearly bright and underpinned by shared national interests. Here at CSIS, we will continue to monitor the alliance and the coming election cycle to see whether the current positive trends continue. That was Greg Poling, Ernie Bauer and Jeff Bean of CSIS, Ambassador Philip Goldberg of the US Embassy in Manila and Ambassador Jose L. Quisha, Chief of the Philippines Mission here in Washington. And that's our show. You can always find more at cogitated.com and csis.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and also check out our island tracker and maritime-specific analysis on the Asian Maritime Transparency Initiative, or AMTI, microsite. I'm Colin Quinn. Thanks for listening.